Welcome to another episode of The Wheat Profit, a podcast where we explore all things wheat. The goal of this podcast is to provide Saskatchewan wheat producers with resources and information to increase profitability and sustainability on their farm. I will be interviewing experts in the field about current production issues and the latest wheat research. I'm your host, Haley Tatro, the Agronomy Extension Specialist with Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Over the last few days, we have seen some very cold temperatures across many parts of the province, which brings up concerns of frost damage to emerging crops. Prairie Cereal Commissions have teamed up to produce a resource on assessing frost in cereals. So if you're concerned about frost damage, we've released this resource on our latest Wheat Watch, which can be found on our website, saskwheat.ca, under the Agronomy tab. With seeding wrapping up, spraying season is quickly approaching. During spray season, there are many things to consider product, active ingredient, crop staging, weather conditions, water volume, nozzles, speed, the list goes on. But one factor that is often overlooked is water quality. With so many factors affecting spray efficacy, like environmental conditions, water volume, herbicide resistance, there's many things that can cause reduced efficacy, which means poor water quality is hard to point the finger at and often overlooked. But water makes up well over 95% of our spray volume and it's an important factor to consider when looking at chemical efficacy. Poor water quality can cause significant tie-up of herbicides, so it's important to ensure you have a good water source. Today on Wheat Profit, we'll be discussing spray water quality and water treatments with Martin Carr of Winfield United Canada. Winfield United Canada has built a reputation for helping independent Canadian egg retails bring ideas and innovation to farmers across the country for many years. They're global leaders in adjuvants and are widely regarded as industry experts in spray application technology. They have decades of experience in adjuvant business and have covered millions of acres across North America in that time. They've discovered and manufactured products for spray water quality and also distribute fertilizer, seed, and crop protection products to egg retailers in Canada. Martin is part of the agronomy team with Winfield United Canada. With most of our seed in the ground and crop spraying season quickly approaching, it's prime time to start talking about water quality. So thank you for taking the time to be here with us today, Martin, and welcome to Wheat Profit. Okay, so let's jump right in. What are the main causes of poor spray water quality and what kind of water quality parameters are we looking at? Great question. So there's many uh, spread, many things that, that can impact your spray water quality, but uh, a lot of the ones that we, we, we focus on is a lot of your cations, right? So that's your your calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, and iron. Those are the things that are going to be in your water that are going to be able to, to tie up things like glyphosate and glyphosate and make them no longer uh, plant available. So it is important to ensure you have, have good water when, when you are spraying it. You know, water, it's a, it's a little factor, but can, can make a huge difference, right? When we think about when you're, when you're loading that sprayer, you know, over 95% of that spray tank is the water that you're putting into it, right? And uh, um, you know, it's the cheapest thing you'll ever put into to that spray tank, but it is a, a very important part of, of that sprayer. So, uh, you know, a lot of our research has shown that uh, the, the water quality um, can, can affect how well the, the products are going to perform. Uh, so the, the factors like uh, the dissolved minerals, like I mentioned, those, those cations in there, uh, they, they will interact with your, your active ingredient or potentially even the additive in there uh, of that pesticide. And, and poor water quality can, can adversely influence the the pesticide it can either reduce the solubility potentially, it can, uh, or just decrease the, the absorption, right? Making it no longer uh, plant available. And then that just uh, creates an inferior uh, product performance. 
that's totally true. I mean, 95%, we, we overlook it all the time. It's so easy to, to blame poor herbicide performance on, you know, the weather or uh, bad water volume, but I guess, you know, the water quality is a, is a huge factor there. So when considering a water source, are there any upfront indicators to look for that maybe can signal to a producer that they should be testing or that maybe it is poor water quality? Absolutely. Uh, indicators, these could be things like uh, even corrosion or, or buildup on pipes, right? Like if you start to see things like that from your water, uh, that can be a telltale sign. Uh, the other one could just even be straight up pesticide performance, right? Maybe you don't see those those visual symptoms, but uh, um, yeah, your, your pesticide just doesn't seem to be performing quite as well as it should. Uh, you know, determining water quality and, and choosing the pers- uh, specific water conditioner and the amount does require uh, some knowledge of that water, right? And this is where we then get into, uh, you know, testing that water, right? Testing the water is is key part of ensuring that uh, the, the, the best performance is possible out of that spray application. Um, I, I, should, I should mention in, in some instances, uh, we will actually test the water and say this is probably even beyond uh, a water conditioner, right? This is, this is so bad, a water conditioner still, still won't even help you and uh, try and find an alternate water source. And, and while no farmer likes, likes to hear that, um, sometimes it is just uh, the, the right recommendation, right? To uh, try and make sure that that product is going to be as efficacious as possible. So you mentioned testing. Um, do you guys do testing on farm or where is the best place for a producer to get their water tested? Great question. So, so with Winfield United Canada, we've actually ran a, a water testing program over the last few years. Uh, you know, we've worked with uh, the, the owners of our company, that, which are independent ag retailers across Canada. Uh, and we've completed over 1,500 uh, water samples across Western Canada over the last few years. So we're starting to get a pretty good Pretty good handle of, of what the water water is like, uh, and the results we've seen have been have been very interesting. Um, there's definitely some regional differences. We, we, we've seen some of that. Uh, just as a general, I'll say rule of thumb, well water has been some of the harder water in comparison to dugout. Um, but I will also throw up my flag and say the worst water sample I ever saw was also from a dugout. So um, I'm not going to say don't rest your laurels on. Uh, uh, just because it's dugout water means it's going to be good. Um, and especially in a year like this, right, it, it's a, it is a drier year. Dugout water is not, not as readily available. So this year, probably going, we're actually starting to see uh, more and more guys having to use some of the well water, which, which can be some of the, uh, the harder water. In terms of, of, you know, where do we, how do we do these tests? So uh, we actually send them to AgVise Labs, which is in Northwood, North Dakota. Uh, realistically, you can send to any lab though um, that'll essentially test for those uh, cations. So things like sodium, calcium, magnesium, potassium, iron. These are the main five, I'll say, that we do test for and want to look out for because those are the ones that are going to react with products like glyphosate, for example, right? So um, I would just re- I would suggest reaching out to your um, you know your independent ag retailer um, that's going to be able to um, do a water sample for you and, and send it away. Uh, typically, if you're going to use a, a you know an agrivise lab, a couple weeks turnaround time would be uh, what I would suggest. So um, don't uh, don't don't test your water on Tuesday if you're planning on spraying on Friday. But uh, um, you know that's that's a little bit of a um, thing that we we've noticed. And uh, I will also add, like we're trying to just think of ROI on this, right? The cost of a water sample, let's just say it's a thirty dollar water sample, right? They they really aren't very very expensive. You know, you, you farm. 3,000 acres, let's say, that's a, that's a cent an acre 
on the entire farm for the whole year, right? How many how many acres are you going to spray with that that well? It, it's you know a fraction of a penny per acre that you spray, right? So it's a very very small cost to to find it out. So um, definitely highly recommend and highly encourage guys to, to test their water and at least find out what their starting point is. So you brought up a couple really interesting points there, and the first one I want to touch on is the amount of times you test. So do you recommend only testing once a season? And is that good enough to kind of be representative of your spray water quality throughout the season, you know, for in-crop herbicide, fungicide, and desiccation? Yeah, great question. You know, when I think of something like a well, um, I'm going to say the wells are, are relatively consistent, right? There, there can be some, some fluctuation in there, but it, I'm not, you know, if you, if you do a water sample out of a well, it's not common that you can have a well that's putting out really hard water and then later in the season all of a sudden it's going to become good again right um they they are they are relatively consistent but it is always good to, to do a, a, a few tests right um and uh especially when you're first trying to learn your your well a little bit right um but yeah i would say doing a doing a couple tests is, is always is always a good idea more information the better right but um yeah no doing doing a test relatively close to when you're going to be spreading like if you're going to be spraying in, the, you know, I'm going to say May, doing a test in, you know, March, April time, you're going to have a pretty representative sample of that well um, for that growing season, I still. And would you see quite a bit more variability? I'm just thinking in my area, a lot of our water sources are sloughs and, you know, obviously you try to find the cleanest slough and you get pretty comfortable with your spray water. But in years like this, where it's quite a bit drier, I would imagine that would affect the water quality. Absolutely. So if we're talking surface water, surface water can be very variable throughout the growing season, right? So uh, as I was mentioning, they're talking about wells, but yeah, if we're talking about groundwater, if it is, if it's really dry and you've got stuff going in there, if you've got things like algae growing in there, lots of different uh, variables like that, absolutely that that can uh, impact your water quality. Yeah. Okay. Um. So the other thing I wanted to touch on that you had kind of mentioned before is the regional differences. And maybe this is a pretty in-depth question, but you talked a bit about how you've done all these water samples, which is really cool. So I'm wondering if you could kind of give us a generalized idea of what water quality factors tend to be an issue in which different areas. That's a great question and, and uh, uh, probably probably tough to, to, to generalize, but I will just, I'll throw a couple out there. One of the ones that we, we saw, uh, and I'm gonna say is that, um, you know, West Central, Saskatchewan, even into, um, you know, uh, just into, into Alberta there. One of the things we saw that was very, very interesting was particularly if it was from a well, and I'm going to say deep well, um, usually coming from, from quite deep wells, was what I will call very soft water, but very salty water, right? Salt is a water softener, right? Um, but it does, uh, salt's also got sodium in it, right? It's, it's got a positive cation in there. So it's actually calling for a high level of water conditioner as you're getting a high level antagonism, but your hardness actually is, is, is very low. And some of them is, you know, might be as, as low as 50 ppm on the hardness, which we would consider very soft water. But that doesn't mean just because it's soft water, mean that it's good spray water, right? So that's, that was one that we've seen. And uh, yeah, different, uh, different areas definitely have um, some, some more harder water, I, I will say as well. So um, that, that's probably the one that stuck out to me is the amount of salty water uh, in, in certain regions. And that was one that was quite large. Uh, it seemed like there was a little salt pocket in there. So. 
that's super interesting to think about. I mean, obviously we all have different paramaterials and our water comes from different sources. So I'd imagine there's huge variability in that. Um, so you did talk a little bit just there about parts per million. So when you're looking at a water test result, what are kind of the factors that would indicate that you, you know, need to look into a water conditioner of some sort? Yeah, so, so when, we, uh, when we think about um, the, the water test itself, when we do uh, a, a water test, it'll actually come back and we'll, we'll get, uh, get recommendations actually based on how many of those cations are actually in there, right? So if there's uh, X amount of calcium, there's X amount of magnesium, there's X amount of um, iron, for example, we actually have antagonism coefficients calculated for each, uh, each one of those specific um, cations. So if there's X amount of each one, we would essentially put that into a calculator and it'll actually give us a recommendation of how much ammonium sulfate is required to overcome that antagonism. So let's talk a little bit about which pro like which products you mentioned, glyphosate and glufosinate a little bit. So what are the main products that are generally affected by poor water quality? Great question. So, so when it when it comes to uh, herbicides, uh, there is there's definitely a range, right? And there's definitely ones that are more sensitive than others. So some of the ones that come to mind, um, first of all, group ones, right? And when we think we can even break the group ones down, uh, DIMs are uh, the most sensitive out of the group ones, uh, followed by the FOPs, followed by the, the DENs, DENs being slightly better. But realistically, all of the group one as a, as a, as a chemistry are, are sensitive to hard water. And uh, so um, those of you, uh, group one, that, that's essentially the, the wild oat uh, graminicide product. Uh, so these might be graminicide products that we actually use in, in wheat, right? That would be something like uh, a cladinophob or a horizon, for example, that we'd use in wheat to try and eliminate wild oats. That would be a, a group one. Um, group nine, so this is uh, this glyphosate or our trade name Roundup uh, would, be, would be that one. Uh, as, as well as group 10, so, so glufosinate, trade name Liberty. That, those, are, those are the ones that, that are ones that we know of that can have a, a, a reaction with, with these things that make your water hard. And you know, the reason, the reason for this, I'll, I'll use glyphosate for example, glyphosate is a negatively charged um, molecule, right? So what, when it comes within um, uh, close proximity of cations such as sodium, such as calcium, for example, it's going to react with those. And when glyphosate reacts with calcium, it essentially makes a new molecule called calcium glyphosate, which is a rock. Plants don't eat rocks. It's not going to be plant available. It's going to sit on the outside of that leaf surface and, uh, and, and not be taken up. So um, that's, that's one of the things. That's, that's essentially how, how tie-up works, if you will. So I remember reading something, too, about um, like dirt particles in your spray water, and that will tie up Roundup as well, will it not? Absolutely, because you think about what, what is what is what is dirt, right? What is what is soil made up? A lot of the same types of things, right? There's a lot of positively charged cations in 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 dust, right? Dust is a is a great example of it, right? So uh, lots of different uh, lots of different things in that uh, in that that are going to to tie it up, right? Or as well organic matter, right? Organic matter can can tie it up, and and that's another thing. If uh, when we talk about about water conditioners, you can actually use water conditioners to help even against things like dust. Obviously it takes a little bit of a higher rate to, to deal with that, but, but you, can, you can actually help uh, deal with, with dust with a water conditioner. So we've talked a lot about herbicides, but does water quality also affect fungicides and insecticides? 
Absolutely, it can. Um, I, we, we probably, we, I'd say the most work that we, we've done, particularly on uh, on herbicides, but uh, but absolutely, we we know that um, we know, we know it can very much impact uh, certain certain pesticides and, and in, in general, whether it's whether it's a fungicide, whether it's an insecticide. Uh, some of them can be um, sensitive to different pHs. Some of them can be sensitive to different cations in there, uh, and that's a, that's one of the nice things. And when we talk about uh, conditioning water, why we favor going with more AMS-based products than simply just acidifying water, because it, it really helps play nicely with a lot of those other um, things, particularly things like fungicides and insecticides that can be quite sensitive to to uh, to extreme pHs. So AMS really isn't a strong acid by any means. You, you put that in there to tie up the cations, right? Not to, not to acidify the water. So that would be why we typically recommend um, AMS-based products. Well, that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is what are our most common additives to condition water and what do you typically recommend? Yeah, great question. So, so we typically do recommend ammonium sulfate-based water conditioners like uh, Crimson NG. That would be the one that, that, that we, we support. Um, you know, if you're looking to something uh, to, to essentially deal with the, the more common issues like hardness, um, Crimson NG is, is going to help uh, very significantly with this. Um, and, uh, and why we like that, essentially, as I mentioned, it, it really helps tie up those cations, right? When we think about how it works, that sulfate is going to react with those positively charged cations that are in there, right? So you always need to make sure you add it into the tank first, because once that, uh, that say, when we're talking about glyphosate, right, that calcium and glyphosate have reacted and made that rock, adding a water conditioner can't undo that. So you need to put that in first. So we stop that type from happening and we allow that sulfate to react with the calcium, with the iron, with the magnesium in that tank, ties that up, and then it allows the, the glyphosate to, uh, to essentially mix with the ammonium portion of the AMS. And ammonium is nitrogen fertilizer, right? That's a plant available form of N. So uh, it actually makes the, the glyphosate very plant available. So mixing order so, is very important. <laughs> mi mixing, order, mixing order is, is very important. So, uh, if we want to just even think about, you know, get our rep heads wrapped around um, something like Crimson NG, right? The value of, of that uh, in the spray tank. So, you know, in, for an in-crop application, we'll say let's let's just use something like a, an axial extreme, right? This is a this is a group one. This is something that we know has uh, has, has potential for for, for tie-up. You know, when we look at the cost of that, you know, from a per acre standpoint, you know, SRP, you know, twenty-five to twenty-seven dollars per acre, right? It, it is a a higher uh, value product, so you start having any amount of tie-up of, of a product like that, um, that that's quite substantial, right? So a water water conditioner like uh, like Crimson, depending on how much you need, could be it could be a dollar an acre, could be a couple bucks an acre, but it's 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 worth a lot, right? Especially when we're talking about uh, pesticides that, that are um, quite valuable in a, in a cost per acre. And another one where we really focus on on water conditioners like Crimson NG. Is the, is the pre-harvest timing, right? So we think about, um, particularly on, on, on wheat, right? We're talking about uh, you have MRL issues going beyond the, the allowable amount, right? 360 grams per, 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 per acre is as much as we're allowed to apply. And why do we put down pre-harvest uh, glyphosate? It's, it's really around perennial wheat control, right? That's, that's the point of doing it. And, and you need to make sure you got as much of that 360 grams active available to really do damage to that uh, to those perennial weeds right so making sure you're keeping that uh, in a plant available form 
very, very important. And that's another place where we really see a huge success with it is in that pre-harvest window. Yeah, I mean, really a $30 test is a pretty easy way to help protect your investment. I mean, especially when you're looking at using it to determine your spray water quality for in-crop and for foliar fungicides and FHB timing and, and insecticide applications if needed. So really a cheap investment, I mean, $30 is not a big cost. So that's, yeah, that's a really absolutely. good thing to know for sure. So where can producers go then to look for these valuable resources on water tie-up? Do you have any recommendations or? So, so some other valuable resources that uh, the uh, producer can, can utilize, um, you know, Winsley United Canada's network of, of independent ag retail across Canada, they, they really are the, the, the experts in the field. So um, I'm going to say go to, to any of those, uh, those independent ag retail. They, these guys are passionate ag experts. And they are here to help you and get the most out of out of every spray tank. Um, you know, our our, our local team uh, have spent a fair bit of time training uh, egg retailers and counters. We 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 do uh, um, uh, spray clinics that uh, that we offer for for these farm for for farmers and and our, our egg retails. Uh, and we talk about spray optimization uh, application, uh, not even just water conditioning. We we talk about uh, water quality, nozzle selection, boom height, sprayer speed, uh, lots of on different adjuvants and active ingredients. So uh, over the last uh, three seasons, we, we've conducted close to 300 of these spray clinics uh, and reached out to over uh, 2,000 farmers, uh, agronomists, aerial applicators, sales, retail people. Um, so our, our, our network, I'll say, is a fairly fairly valuable uh, resource. Uh, and, and if you're uh, interested in learning more uh, about products like Crimson NG or finding um, you know an upcoming spray clinic at uh, at an independent ag retailer or even who who is our, our retailer network or who sells these adjuvants, uh, we do have a website. It's called WinsleyUnited.ca, and, and we do have all of that information on there. All right. Well, I think that really covers everything that we had here today. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us here today and talk all about spray water quality. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Wheat Profit, brought to you by the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. For more information on wheat agronomy, marketing, advocacy, and research, please go to saskwheat.ca or follow us on Twitter, where we are at saskwheat.com.